We're starting a, a new book today, new letter. Uh, we're back to Paul. We finished with 1 Peter, and actually we'll go to 2 Peter after we do this one. I'm trying to like figure out what's the best way to see everybody. Um, but let when we whenever we start a, a new letter, we kind of do the history of it. The context is important because if you just honestly, if you just open your Bible and just start reading it, it can be uh, either confusing or you can misinterpret what was intended. And I'll say this is that these letters that Paul wrote, he wrote to specific people. This one today, he's obviously written to Timothy, and he didn't write it to you. He didn't write it to you. But he wrote it with the intentions of it being copied, and so it is for you. It's not to you, but it's for you. And so we have these letters from Paul that we can sit here and apply to our daily lives, but it was really written to Timothy. So let me back up and explain what's going on. If Jesus was crucified somewhere around 30 AD, 30 AD, the gospel is being spread by the disciples and by Paul, and Paul starting all these churches outside of Israel in the Galatia area. Where we've gone from Acts to here, this is actually the 200th message since we started unpacking Acts 1 today. And so it's taken us a while to get through the New Testament. But in 64 AD, uh, Rome was burned and they blamed the Christians for burning Rome. So what was once somewhat peaceful now there is a disturbance that's going on, and it started a war about 66 AD, where Rome came in and began to attack the Jews in Israel. And so this Jewish revolt against the Romans and the Romans coming in and attacking the Jews, all this was going on, and there's a lot of people that are bailing on what Paul and Peter had taught them because they didn't want to get busted by the Romans. So they're literally bailing on their faith. And it's not much different than when you go to Hebrews, when we studied Hebrews, and the Judaizers came in and said, hey, you need to get back to the faith of the Jews. You need to practice circumcision. You need to do uh, all the, the, the sacrifices at the temple. And people began bailing on their faith there and going back to Judaism. So now they're literally bailing on this. So what's happened in 67 AD, AD, Paul is still imprisoned in Rome. Let me take you to the map. Some of you in here are map friendly. You like to figure out where things are. I'm going to point to that one over there, but you guys seeing this one over here uh, will probably work as well. But we always start at the boot because everybody knows what the boot is. The boot is Italy, and up here, top left corner is Rome. This is where Paul is imprisoned. There's actually a place in Rome where you can go and see where Paul was imprisoned to this day. Down in the bottom right is Israel. Uh, So if the Roman Empire is in control, they're in control of all this area right here. 
Paul traveled through Galatia area right here, started churches, went up into, this is Greece, this is now Turkey, this area is Turkey, this is modern day Greece. He went up there and he started churches in Corinth. Uh, Corinth is right there at the right there at the top bottom of that little uh, peninsula, and then Ephesus is on this side over here in Asia. And let's see what else down here is Jerusalem. All this is the activity that's going on in this letter right here. Just want you to get a glimpse of what's going on. So when we talk about this. Priscilla and Aquila are actually still in Ephesus. Paul's left them there to minister to the church there, and they're trying to save the church from the constant threat of heresy that's coming in. You've got Gnostics that are coming in. You've got the Judaizers that are coming in. You've got the Greek philosophers that are coming in. All this trying to basically say what Paul's been teaching isn't correct. So the false teachers are are winning out at this point, and there's basically a wholesale departure on Paul's ministry. Now, if I came in here and invested time in you guys, which I have, and all of a sudden I left, and things begin to wane here, and things are being taught different here, I'd, I'd be bothered too. Bothered enough to like send a video or something, write a letter, whatever, but he's imprisoned. He can't really go to him. So he's really writing to Timothy and saying, hey, you've got to step it up. You've got to like be encouraged in the faith because I know that you're being discouraged. I know that sitting in here, there's people that are discouraged. And they just need to hear this today. Paul is uh, really coming to the end of his life, and he realizes it. He's in prison. Uh, there's a lack of support for him as he gets ready to go to trial here in Rome for basically preaching the gospel. People are not showing up for him. The people that he always counted on, he's kind of isolated yet there's still a few that will come to him and encourage him. Now, there are some survivors here of Nero who literally committed suicide in 68 AD. There are some survivors here of his persecution from the Roman church, and they're the ones that would come and check on Paul occasionally. And Paul is absolutely burdened for these other churches. And he really, really, really wants to see Timothy, so he hopes to encourage him. He actually wrote this letter in 67 AD, 67 AD, because he said to Timothy in the letter, make every effort to come to me the winter. I need my coat for the winter. So we assume that it was the fall of 67. And uh, we know that Timothy is in Ephesus along with Priscilla and Aquila because uh, he's made several references here. Now let's get into uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. When friends desert us and opposition becomes intense, nothing gives Christians more confidence than the assurance of knowing that they're doing God's will. 
And so for Paul to literally say, I'm doing this all for the sake of Christ. I am one of Jesus' apostles. He's reaffirming to himself and to also Timothy and to all those others that there's validation for who I am in Christ. There's validation for my ministry. There's validation for what I have been teaching and what you have been heard. He says to Timothy, my dearly loved son. Uh, That description right there emphasizes his affection for Timothy and his relationship with him as a spiritual son, as a protege. He's nurtured in the faith. He's one, it's like, I did uh, youth, I'm still doing youth ministry, but I did youth ministry for 15 years at uh, Northside. Some of my students are here today. Uh, I think about one when I came in 1989, uh, Kristen, in your class, Scott Mesher, uh, who was exactly 10 years younger than me. 10 years younger, he's 50 this year. Oh my goodness. Uh, 10 years younger than me, and he is doing ministry, and all along, we have had this Paul-Timothy relationship that he's he was literally at a church, he's left his church, he's doing mission work. You guys have supported him financially to encourage him. And this is the relationship that Paul has with Timothy. Timothy, He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Then verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears. Okay, so we know that Timothy cried. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. First of all, Paul voiced... uh, this first epistle, his first letter to Timothy, it was interesting that he mentioned his own salvation and ministry. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, it says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to ministry. Now in his second letter to Timothy, he's doing this for Timothy. Like he's encouraging him and thanking him for his salvation, for his faith, for his ministry. And it's all of a sudden changed. But what is he talking about his tears? I have to believe that probably has to do with what he referred to in 1 Timothy 1.3. He says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless, endless genealogies. So literally Paul left Timothy. If they're like father, son, and he's like, I need you to stay here in Ephesus and I'm leaving. I'm going to leave you here. Paul's probably referring to tears that were in Timothy's eyes at that point. I remember when we got separated. I remember when I left you alone. But then uh, I look at that, your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice now. You know, uh, we had this conversation uh, a week ago or so with somebody and talked about how you you don't m- remember anybody past your, your grandparents. Like, how many of you remember your great-grandparents? 
Ooh, look at that. I remember my mamma. My mamma. Anybody remember your great great grandparents? Oh, look. Two two hands. But to think about the influence of your family, your the heritage of your family and the impact that they've had on you. How do you remember that your family members influenced you in your faith? And what is it about moms? My mom was faithful. My mom was the one that got up before the sun and began praying. I've told you this, I don't know how many times, but I know that my mom, who's passed away like five years ago, six years ago, prayed for a lot of you in this room by name. It's just who she was. She raised me, teaching me about Jesus, loving Jesus. That's why I have the opportunity today to stand here because of the faith of my mother and my grandmother, my grandparents, both sides of my grandparents, my dad. They all love Jesus, and I'm fortunate and blessed to have parents that have influenced me in my faith. Verse 6, he says, Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy received this like divine enablement to do the work that God was leading him to do. Paul encouraged him. We, for some reason, have carried on this tradition, this formality of ordaining people to ministry or licensing people uh, to ministry or commissioning people to ministry. And we do this by the laying on of hands. On March 26, 1989, a group of men laid hands on me as I was called into the ministry. And my mom was actually there that day. That was I remember that because it's her birthday. And uh, it was a cool experience for me at Northside Baptist Church. And uh, I'll never forget it. And I'm sure Timothy was the same way when Paul laid his hands on him and said, God has called you to the ministry. He's called you to evangelize the world. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. In some of your translations, it will say a, uh, a spirit of timidity. God didn't make us timid. He doesn't want us to be afraid. I sit there, you, you guys are watching the chosen left and right and catching up and all these different times that the, the ship's being tossed out on the ocean or things are appearing to them. What's the first thing that they always hear? Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Have no fear. God didn't give us a spirit of fear or timidity. It says, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Sound judgment. To be able to discern. I, I still go back to what's the first one. He gave us a spirit of love. He gave us a spirit of love. It's actually the second one. He gave us a spirit of love. And I'm no longer under the law of Moses. I don't have to know the Ten Commandments. I don't have to know the 613 laws in Leviticus. I don't have to live under the Sermon on the Mount. But I'm under the law of Christ, and that is to love God and to love one another. That's it. That's the law. Just love. So he's given me the ability to love. He's given me the power, the power to do ministry. And he's given me sound judgment. He's given me discernment. And why is that? Because there's a spirit of God that lives inside of me. 
Not everybody's easy to love. Not everybody's easy to love, but I'm capable of loving them because it's not me that's doing it. It's the spirit in me doing it. That's how it works. It's the power of the spirit in me that works. It's the judgment, the wisdom that comes from the spirit in me that works. He doesn't want me to be afraid. I got uh, KD and Jim Blewett, both of them staring at cancer, and they're not the only ones. I've got uh, one of my former students, Betsy, in Colorado that's uh, staring at cancer. And just to be able to say, he's got you. I know that's easy for me to say because I'm good health-wise, but he's got him. He's got him. And, and, and here's the beautiful thing about it. All three of them know it. They know it. There's a peace. Even though there's like thoughts that are going on and everything else, those old thoughts right before, you know, this battle, fighting this battle. Katie's at the beginning of his battle. Betsy's at the beginning of her battle. Jim's at the end of his battle. But they're all good. They're all good. There's no fear. Uh, the message says, God doesn't want us to be shy with his gifts, but be bold and loving and sensible. <laughs> the New American Standard says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. The NIV says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And that all because the spirit resides in us. Verse 8, it says, So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Nothing for you to be ashamed of. I, I'm in prison. <laughs> Paul's in prison. And typically, when you're friends, when you're mentors in prison, everybody's like, oh, what'd he do? Well, what he did was preach the gospel. He's in prison. He's in prison because he was telling people about Jesus. And literally Paul's saying to him, don't be ashamed of why I'm in prison. What if the same thing happens to you? Ooh. Well, I've got friends that are in prison right now. <laughs> literally, I do. I'm not ashamed of them. They're my brother, my sister. Just trust the Lord. That's what he's saying. Just trust. Don't be ashamed. Just keep doing, suffering, relying on the power of God. Verse 9, he says, He has saved us and called us by a holy calling, not according to our works. You've got to hear that. Not according to our works, because it's not about what we do. It's not about what we do. It's about our calling. If, if my heart, if my heart has been taken out as a sinful young man and replaced with a new heart, a heart of flesh, and my sinful nature has been crucified with Christ, now I have a new nature. It is natural. It is natural for me to want to proclaim the love of God. That's the calling that he has on my life. If you figure this thing out 
and you figure out what Matt's talking about, how abundant this life can be, you have no problem sharing this with others. You have no problem talking about what Jesus did on the cross. It becomes a natural thing for you to do, and it is a calling that we all have because we all experience this because we've all been made new creations. You just need to figure it out. You just need to settle into it. And he's literally saying that uh, he saved us, he called us with this holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This isn't about me. This is about God. It's about his purpose, his grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God has delivered us from the power and even the penalty of sin. I I don't I know uh Rick Rick prayed the, the Lord's prayer at the beginning of our our session this morning and you know he said forgive us our sins my my sins are forgiven. I've literally been saved from the penalty of my sin. Oh what what saved you? It wasn't because I ask for continual forgiveness every night. It's because I asked for forgiveness one time and he saved me and he forgave me and he forgot. I said this to someone last night on the phone. It's the one thing that I can do that God can't do. And that's forget my sin. It's like he he's forgotten it. He's already dealt with it. I still, in my flesh, still struggle with the things that I do and the things that I've done, can't forget. It's still logged in there, but he's already dealt with it. It's by this grace which has been given to us in Christ Jesus even before time began. Look at verse 10. It says, this, this, is ha- this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God has revealed his full dignity only since Christ has come. Jesus Christ destroyed the effects of death. Jim Blewett is probably going to pass away within the next week or two. But here's what I know. Jim has eternal life. His earthly body's given up on him, that's for sure. My earthly body is fading and giving up on me. I get it, I realize it, I feel it. But I have eternal life. And this is not, this is not my home, this is not my place. This is, this, I can have abundant life here, I can enjoy this. I can, it's baseball season, man. I can enjoy this. But this is not my place. There's much greater things than a World Series. And it awaits me. It says, for this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and a teacher. Ooh, that's good stuff. The gospel is the revelation of this plan. But Timothy, for some reason, may feel ashamed, feel ashamed for it. But Paul's encouraged him to say, don't lose focus. Don't lose focus on what we've got here. Paul's proudly acknowledging that God had appointed him of all people, a herald, someone who announces, an apostle, someone who establishes churches, a teacher, someone who gives the good news. 
What an honor and a privilege it is to stand here and to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is why I suffer these things. But I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until this day. This is 67 AD. The Romans came in. They destroyed 1.1 million Jews in 70 AD. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed that, that whole area. And here we sit, 2024, teaching the gospel. The same thing that Paul was teaching back in 67 AD, we're teaching it today. I, you may think that Christianity is on its way out, that it's struggling, that we're being defeated. Let me tell you, it has stood the test of time. God's word has stood the test of time, and it will continue to do that. <clears throat> it's been entrusted to us. He suffered imprisonment and the discomforts all associated with it because he preached the gospel. Nevertheless, he's never been ashamed of it. And in verse 13, it says, Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Timothy felt the temptation to somewhat modify his message. You can't stand here today in a world that is struggling with gender and feminism and everything else and think, what am I teaching today that I taught 20 years ago? Am I, am I bending? Is the Lord showing me things? Well, Timothy's facing Gnosticism that if matter exists, then it's evil. So therefore, Jesus really didn't exist. He was just spiritual because Jesus isn't evil. I mean, they were teaching some crazy things back then. And Paul's like saying, Timothy, don't buy into it. Don't buy into it. Just keep teaching what I taught you. Stay faithful to what you know is true. Verse 14 says, guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He should guard God's revelation that God had entrusted to him as a minister. And this indwelling, I say the word indwelling, something that has taken up residence inside of me. Try to explain the, uh, the Trinity to our high school students on uh, Wednesday night. And just the fact that, uh, in essence, they are one, but they're three individuals. The fact that uh, you read in Scripture that Jesus is in me and I'm in Jesus. And that the Holy Spirit indwells me. And that Jesus is in God. Try, try to explain that concept to uh, students. <laughs> it, it's, it's not easy. And the, be the best thing that we can do, the best thing that we can do is not just talk about it, but actually show them. Show them. Like, this is literally what Paul has done with Timothy is he's modeled his life for him. It says, guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including 
Phagellus, and Hermogenes. The Christians in Ephesus are in the province of Asia where Ephesus stood. And so thoroughly, a lot of them had abandoned Paul. You know these provinces, they deserted me, including two that were so faithful to me. They've just kind of like walked away. You know, uh, we've been doing this ministry for a long time right here in this pub. And I literally, uh, I'm in the process of doing a, a, a new app for Leavener. I'm in the process of changing our database. And when I did, I went back and looked. Do you know how many people are actually in our database? 1,153 that have literally come here in the last 16 years. And some of them have walked away. Not necessarily because they've walked away from their faith. I get it. There's other ministries around here. They move away. But yeah, some of them have walked away from their faith. And it's hard. It's hard because uh, to me, those are more than just names. Those are people. The people and to watch them to watch them struggle in their faith. And Paul's literally saying to Timothy, even though they've given up on you, they've given up on me, don't give up. Don't give up. What we're doing, this calling that we have on our life, is absolutely worth it. It's absolutely worth it. They did have strong supporters. Watch. Verse 16, it says. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant and obtain that he obtain mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. That's the last verses there of, of chapter 1. Onesiphorus, he says, may God have mercy on him that day. Oh, wait, wait a second. It sounds like Onesiphorus is a believer and a follower because he's encouraging Paul. He's one of his strongest supporters. He was with him. He traveled with him. He was searching for him. So what does that mean, God have mercy on him? Well, I believe Onesiphorus was a believer. There's no question about it. So was he going to face a, a judgment? Yeah, he's going to face a judgment. We all face a judgment, but let me tell you this. It's the judgment seat of Christ, and it's about what we have done here on earth, what we have done here on earth, and the rewards that we receive because of the things that we have done in the Spirit, not the things we've done in our flesh, those, those have all burned away and gone. But the things that we've done in the Spirit, we're rewarded for those. So maybe he's talking about that, that judgment seat where he says, show mercy because Onesiphorus did some incredible things for me. He supported me. Or he could go back to the Sermon on the Mount and say, have mercy on the merciful. That Onesiphorus was very merciful to him. That he showed mercy to Paul. We don't know what that is, but here's what I do know. When I look at chapter one and I think about this, it's all about modeling. It's what Paul did for Timothy. 
It's what his, Timothy's grandmother and mother did for him. It's what Onesiphorus did for him. They all modeled. I sit here today and go, it's not about what we do. It's not about what we do. But you can't help, but you can't help to say that these teenagers, these children of ours, aren't watching what we do. They watch. And they pattern after us. They watch. That doesn't mean that I'm to go out and try to be a good person. I have been made a good person. The best thing that I can do is learn who I am as a person. That I'm holy, that I'm righteous, that I'm purified, that I'm a saint. It says over and over and over again, I'm a saint. Yeah, I still sin. I still blow it. I still make bad choices. But me coming into my identity causes me to act out in my behavior. And when that happens, people watch. My kids watch. My students watch. You watch. And this is literally what Paul's encouraging Timothy. Go. You have this calling on you. It's a beautiful thing, Timothy. We each have this calling on our life. And literally the calling is Pursue the will of God, which is to walk by His Spirit. I say it over and over and over again. The will of God for you is to walk by His Spirit. Walk by His Spirit, you become a beautiful model. I want to be a model for you. I want to. Pattern your life after mine. So Paul is saying to Timothy. He's like, I'm pursuing Christ. Yeah, I blow it sometimes. It's okay. So, Father, I pray uh, today that you would continue to teach us our identity. That you would continue to uh, show us who we are in you. You would just uh, love on us this week. I do pray for uh, Katie, for Jim Blewett, for Betsy, that you would just uh, give them peace. Let them rest. Let them rest. Let them trust you. And Lord, I know they're not the only three that are struggling. That There's people in this room that are struggling health-wise, emotionally, spiritually, that you would just give us all this, let us realize this peace that is in us because of your spirit that's in us. So I trust you with that today. And I thank you for this opportunity just to teach Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.